Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's all now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. Today's don't have a guest. It's just going to be me. I got a couple topics. Well, really one topic with a couple subtopics in there that I want to cover. A um, couple weeks into the NBA season, I think it's been uh, a really unique start to it. Um, I've watched a number of games. Obviously, I, I read stuff every single morning. Um, and I think the biggest thing that jumps out to me is the difference in how the game is being officiated this year. And I absolutely love it. Um, I, I think you're you're starting to see the game, uh, at least early in the season, being called a little bit more like I think it should be called. Uh, fouls are typically said, uh, have always been said, it needs to be advantage, disadvantage. Uh, and officials at every level, from when I played to the, the times that I've talked to officials as a as a uh, coach as well as as a broadcaster, they've always made the comment advantage disadvantage on an, on either a a no call or a questionable call. Um, and many times, if if a player was searching for a foul, they wouldn't call it. In particular, at the college level. Now, at the NBA level, you would see guys searching for calls all the time, and I think it really has hampered uh, the ability to really watch the game at different times. Granted, yes. I absolutely love the NBA. It's it's the highest level of the sport. The players are phenomenal. I think the coaches do an unbelievable job of, of tweaking game plans from one night to the next, depending on opponents and depending on who on their team is playing really well or may have a mismatch. But the thing that would constantly drive me nuts when I'm watching games is um, one or two players would, would see uh, an opportunity and they would try to draw fouls and it would not be in the flow of the game in any way, shape or form. And, and myself as a former player, that would just frustrate the heck out of me because I would see and I would look back on times in my career where maybe I did a similar move and I wouldn't get the call. Maybe it, the call would go against me and then you would see other guys who are, quote, stars or superstars. They would they would do the exact same thing and they would get the call. And so that that would become that was very frustrating as a player, and that has become frustrating, you know, just as an average fan watching it. I mean, I I, I think I look at it very similar to most um, fans who just sit down and watch the game. Is I, I want a consistently called game, whether it's the best player in the world uh, or whether it's you know a guy just trying to scratch their way onto a, a roster and earn minutes in the preseason. Call the game consistently as it's detailed out in the rule books. And many times over the years, uh, in my experience, it has not been called that way. Um, but with that, you know, the, there's been lots of articles, been been lots of things said about 
the change of the rules. And I think it's been great that, you know, a couple guys in particular have stepped up and, and, and have said they really like it. Uh, Steve Kirby and one, he said he really likes, uh, loves these new rules and the direction that um, they're going to kind of clean up and uh, clean up the game and make it more called by, by the, the letter of the rule, the, and how it is written. Um, Steph Curry uh, has voiced, you know, his approval to a certain extent, <laughs> you know, early on, it might've been opening night or it might've been the, the second game of the year. The Warriors were in Portland actually, and they were playing the Blazers and uh, he tried to, he, he got the defender up off the air, but the defender went fairly vertical. They didn't jump into Steph Curry's space. Defender went vertical, even though he was up in the air. Steph Curry jumped into him, tried to draw a shooting foul from beyond the three-point line. Ref, it was a no-call. And it was the correct no-call based on how the rules are. If you go vertical and straight up and down, you're okay to do that. Now, if the defender would have jumped into Steph Curry's space vertically, into his space, the cylinder of Steph Curry's body straight up, it would have been a foul on the defender. But anyways, it was a no-call. And Lamar Hurd, the Blazers color analyst, um, he said, not this year, not this year. And so it kind of became an early uh, warning, I think, to a lot of fans who follow the game that the game is supposed to be officiated differently. We're now, what, about three weeks into the season? And I think the officials are doing a pretty good job of, of sticking to um, the directives and the way these new rules uh, are written and asked to be enforced by the league. Now it's only a matter of time uh, before there becomes a little bit more gray area and, co and officials uh, give in a little bit and see a few different things. That's always been the case when there's been different um, rule changes, whether it's uh, zone and defensive three seconds, whether it's the hand check rule, whether it's carrying the ball, palming the ball, um, all those things typically will kind of get blurred a little bit as the season goes on. And, and hope, like I said, hopefully that's not the case. Um, and they, so they say they're trying to get rid of abnormal moves. And what does abnormal moves mean? What are abnormal moves? I think it's, uh, there's a couple of different ways that you can look at it. You can look at you know, years ago, you can remember Reggie Miller would shoot a three and occasionally he'd kick his leg out. Uh, and as the defender maybe was doing a flyby or he was challenging a little late on the closeout, but he was challenging, he got there, but not in time before Reggie Miller takes off. Reggie Miller would kick his leg out, defender would hit his leg, uh, Reggie Miller would fall, go to the floor, official sees that he's, his leg is hit three free throws for Reggie Miller. I'll admit uh, that was one of the tricks that I would use as a shooter, uh, more so at the college level than, than I would use um, in the NBA because I, I didn't have the benefit of the doubt with officials in the NBA based on pecking order of how good of a player I was. You, you can ask any current player, you can ask any former player, there is absolutely a pecking order uh, of who has the ability to get foul calls that are maybe questionable and who doesn't. Um, there were there were very few times that that I was high enough in the pecking order where I would get the benefit of the doubt on many calls. Um, officials will say that that is not the case, but a hundred percent is. Like I said, you could ask former players, current players. I'm I'm pretty sure about ninety eight percent will will agree with me on that comment. Uh, other abnormal moves is, um, you know, I, I think James Harden is being uh, uh, impacted by this one is. 
you know, he does such a tremendous job of, of uh, on his attack moves, getting his arms out in space and locking them up with the defender as he goes up uh, into a, a finish move, whether it's a 10 foot floater, whether it's getting himself all the way to the rim. Uh, he's become a master of it. The defense's arms aren't completely out if they're a little out to the side. I mean, if the defender's hands are a little bit out in front of him, James Harden's done a tremendous job of, of learning how to create that contact, lock his arms up underneath uh, the defender's arms and make it look like a foul. And essentially what he's done over the years is put the decision on the official and more times than not, he's gotten that call. Well, this year, because it, it looks like an abnormal move, he's not looking to rhythmically go into a jump shot or a floater or a runner or a layup um, that's been deemed an abnormal move. And he's he shot less free throws this year um, than he has since very early on in his career. Uh, I think that's a great thing because I think so many times, as good as James Harden is, as creative as he is with the ball, great at creating space and as a shot maker, um, you know, he's been one of those guys that's blurred the lines as far as um, junking it up and, and really searching for fouls when um, you've created your space, just get your shot off. Um, another guy that's really been impacted is Trey Young and, you know, his scoring numbers are down and I'm sure he's going to figure it out because he's such a good, talented player. He's got ball handling skills to get him wherever he wants on the floor. His range extends, you know, a good 30, 34 feet from the basket. So he's going to create opportunities where the defense has to come at him. And then he puts the ball on the deck and, and really, uh, exposes, uh, the defense and puts them in foul issues. But, um, He's been impacted by this with his amount of free throws as well. And I think I like this this rule change for one of the things that he has become really good at over the last couple of years in the NBA is another abnormal move. He'll get the outlet pass. He'll get, um, you know, the rebound and he'll start pushing in transition and he'll find a defender sprinting back in, in defensive transition and he'll literally cut the player off and just stop sometimes even back up, he'll stop. That creates contact. And based off of how the game should be played, absolutely, that should be a foul on the offensive player, Trey Young, in this instance, that has the ball in his hands. Well, they're finally calling it that way this year in the NBA. And he's gotten a, a couple, I believe he's gotten a couple of those calls this year. Uh, it's been a frustrating thing for him because he's done it. He's done that for a number of years. Um, he, he's cut them off, stopped, got fouled, got himself to the free throw line, get two points. Or you put an opponent's, uh, you, you pin another foul on an opponent, hopefully one of their bigs. Um, that to me is completely an abnormal basketball move. And I'm very glad that that, that is being cracked down on. It, it happens occasionally in pick and roll situations where, you know, the the defender trails on the, on the screen, the offensive player does a nice job getting them on their hip, but then it becomes an abnormal move when they don't just keep them on their hip, but the offensive player back dribbles, um, reverse dribbles to create even more contact. And so I think the officials have done a really nice job of, of uh, calling that this year. Um, so, you know, abnormal moves, off arm extended, unnatural movements in your shooting motion in, in different things. Officials are doing a nice job. I think it's really helping the pace of play and the the rhythm of the play in the game up and down. So those are going to be fun to watch if those continue on through the year, which I sure hope they do. You know, I think some of the other things that 
in regards to rules, the one that's been big so far in the NBA that that I get asked a lot about, and and quite frankly, I, I think a couple rules across the board in, in basketball at all levels need to be similar and need to be the same. The first one is the 24 second shot clock. I really wish that at all levels, from high school to college to the NBA as well as FIBA, would all be 24 second shot clocks. You know, at this moment in time, uh, not every high school has the ability uh, to have a shot clock. They don't have the hardware in their in, in their gyms. Quite a few states do have uh, a requirement mandate, and so those those states are ahead of the game. Um, but sometimes those shot clocks are 30, sometimes those are 35, and, and I wish to, that were changed. College obviously has a shot clock. It's it's adjusted in time uh, a number of different times over the years. Um, but I wish that um, the college shot clock would become consistent with the NBA and the FIBA shot clock at 24 seconds. Uh, I think it would speed up the play, pace of play just a little bit more. Uh, I, I think it really, you know, I think it really puts the onus on coaches to teach concept basketball and um, not just set plays where uh, predetermined actions are happening as opposed to, you know, teaching players how to read and react, think and space, think and attack, uh, pass and space, pass and react. Uh, I think it would be a really good thing. And it would also help a lot of players make that transition from college to the NBA. I, I don't think it would impact the game in, in scoring as much as maybe some people think, but I think it would be, there would be a better flow to the game. Um, and if you're worried about, well, they can't play that fast because there's going to be turnovers. Well, again, that goes back to uh, preparation, player development, practice plans to make sure what are you putting an emphasis on? What are you placing an emphasis on? Are you working on the things that are going to allow you to play at a faster pace with the 24 second shot clock? Are you practicing in a way that you're still valuing the basketball and you're teaching your players read and react concepts? And that's why I think it would be great even if it, that 24 seconds shifted down to the high school level. I think that that would be the biggest challenge would be to get the high school level at the 24 second shot clock. Uh, that would be awesome in my opinion, but I think it's gonna take a while to get there. Uh, basket interference. Uh, what I mean by that is in, uh, in, in America, in the States, we're really the only country fee, uh, that, that is under FIBA basketball um, that does not abide by the FIBA rules of basket interference. So what I mean by that, if the ball's once, – once it's a live shot and the ball touches the rim, you can touch it. So you can knock it off in international play in FIBA um, – you can knock the ball off the rim. So say a layup goes up and it doesn't go through cleanly and it's starting to roll from the, from the side of the rim around to the front, you can knock that ball off and that counts. Uh, there's, there's no uh, penalty for it. Obviously in America, that's offensive basket interference. Or if you're on the offensive end, trying to tip it in, if you're on the defensive end, if you're the defensive team, it's defensive ba basket interference and it would be an automatic two points for, for the offensive team. Um, but I would I, 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 I would prefer that to stay the way it is in the States. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I am a huge fan of watching it in international play. I, I think it's it adds a couple tweaks to it. It adds a, a uniqueness to it uh, and it adds you know some excitement to see which U.S. players that are playing in international competition can adjust to being able to to 
do that or can adjust to not being frustrated by that happening to one of their shots. Another one would be uh, four quarters. Uh, high school's four quarters. Women's college basketball is four quarters. Every professional league is four quarters. The only one that's not four quarters is men's college basketball. Um, and they're played the same amount of length as the women's college basketball game. But for some reason, uh, the men's game is stuck to the, the two 20 minute halves idea instead of the four quarters. I would really like to see it go the other way. Um, I, I would like to see the, the four, the, the four quarters. And, and the reason being, I, I think because of the reset of the bonus and being able to get yourself to the free throw line for one-on-ones and then double bonus in the college game. Yeah, there's been too many games over the years that I've seen a team pounds it in early, pounds it in early, whether it's through post-ups, whether it's through through uh, dribble drive action to put press, foul pressure on the defense. And if they get into the bonus with 10, 11 minutes left in the first half or the second half, it's a free throw parade the rest of the game, where if you change it to four quarters and at five fouls, that's when you went one and one. And at seven fouls, you went double bonus. Um, it, I think it would really – uh, help the flow of the game a little bit more and alleviate some of the pressures of um, teams really focusing in on trying to get into the bonus early and get in the double bonus early. Um, and, and if you've got thoughts on that, just watch the women's college game. I like the way that that is played as opposed to the men's in this scenario and for this topic. The last one is the ELAM ending. The the TBT, the basketball tournament, the winner-take-all million-dollar prize uh, has come onto the scene in the last six or seven years. I've been a part of it with a Gonzaga team uh, a couple different occasions. I've broadcasted a, a couple games uh, for ESPN3. It's very unique. I like it. I don't know if it would work um, at the highest of levels. And, and by the highest of levels, I mean college high, college, and, and NBA and, and FIBA. Um, but I think for, for the application, it's really unique. And I wouldn't mind seeing a couple test runs with the ELAM ending, whether it's in the G league or whether maybe it's NBA preseason games or, or international exhibition games just to look at it. So essentially what it is, is the game is played as normal, but when four minutes are left on the game clock, the clock is now turned off and you look at the score, whatever it may be. So the, the leading, the, the team that is leading, you add nine points to their score. So say the game is 81 to 78. The target score, the ELAM ending has a target score. It's nine points more of what the leading team at that moment in time is. So you would take nine points and add it to 81. So it'd be 90. So the target score would be 90. And whoever, whichever team gets to 91st wins. Every game ends on a made basket. Uh, which is, I, I think, is a ton of the appeal to this. Um, so you could see, uh, you, you could see that. Say, if there was a blowout happening, and it was say fifty-five to eighty, and the score, the the Elam ending is set at eighty-nine, that team with fifty-five would have to make a, an enormous run to make it. I think what you would see is those those games like the number score that I first mentioned. A lot of times you're gonna you're gonna see teams get into that foul game because you're trying to preserve the clock. Well, in the Elam ending, 
you're not getting into the foul game. You're getting into the I have to stop and I have to score phase, um, very similar to any place you've ever played pickup basketball, um, where every game finishes and ends on a made bucket. The only difference in the Elam ending is you can finish on a made free throw. But I'll tell you what, in watching guys that have had to take free throws at the end of games, in the Elam ending, when there was the, still the prize of possibly a million dollars on the line, those are some difficult free throws to take and difficult free throws to make. So um, a couple different rule changes that uh, in the NBA that, that I really like this year. Like I said, hopefully they keep up. A couple different big picture um, basketball rules uh, that are unique to keep an eye on and, and see if they change. Um, those are just a few of my thoughts. Uh, there will be a, a, um, a, a chance to follow this. And I think a great resource, a couple of great resources to follow this uh, trend with the NBA uh, and the abnormal rules and the amount of free throws going down is NBA.com had a couple of tremendous articles on it. Hoop Math and, and some different places like that track this stuff pretty well as, at, at multiple levels as well. So thanks again for listening. Like, subscribe, and review. For SB Live Sports and the ISO, I'm your host, Dan Dickow. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.